let's take our Bibles tonight, please. Turn to Psalm chapter 7. Psalm chapter 7 tonight. I want to continue our Sunday night series in the Psalm. I hope it's been, Psalms, I hope it's been a help and encouragement to you. Uh, it has been to me. Uh, let's just think back here over the past uh, several weeks. We've seen uh, Psalm 2, which pictures Christ as king of the millennium. Might as well just make him king of our lives now. Amen. He is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And uh, we look forward to a millennium in which he will rule, absolutely. Uh, we might as well make him Lord of Lords and King of Kings in our life tonight, for that is what he is. Uh, and then in Psalm uh, 3, 4, and 5, we saw this uh, a sort of a trilogy of prayer of David, uh, evidently around the time of Absalom's sin uh, against David, his father. And of course, David could have, you know, just crumbled in uh, grief. Uh, but he does not. He fled to the Lord uh, and found great peace. In Psalm 6, we saw David's uh, humble repentance, evidently after his sin. So 3, 4, 5, it was really Absalom's sin against David uh, and David's response to that. In Psalm 6, it was David's response to his own sin, uh, a wonderful, humble repentance. What a great example. Uh, if you fall into sin, what can you do as a believer? Well, you, you know that you're still saved. The blood of Christ covers your sin uh, and has removed your sin, and all you need to do is confess that sin and ask God to help you forsake it. And we saw David do just that in Psalm 6. Now tonight in Psalm 7, uh, David faces another trial. It's a, it's a trial of a different sort. Doesn't it seem to you that uh, David is always in some kind of a difficulty, and you know, this morning we talked again about how God uses difficulties in our lives. Uh, God allowed difficulties into David's life, evidently, to grow David spiritually, to cause David to come to the Lord and to trust the Lord and, and to be uh, increasingly more faithful to the Lord. But, of course, you understand tonight, here in the Psalms, we have David's inspired uh, prayers, many of them, songs, prayers, poems, that the Lord has laid upon his heart in what context? Well, in the context of trials and difficulties. And uh, if not for those trials and difficulties, we would not have uh, these wonderfully biblical, um, Holy Spirit-inspired um, responses that provide an example for us. Um, tonight, we see David's response to the trial of having been slandered. Uh, it's, it's pretty evident tonight that is, that is the context. Uh, look here in uh, Psalm 7 uh, at the title, uh, at the title, uh, Psalm 7 in, in the title it says, uh, Shigeon, this is an untranslated Hebrew word, uh, it would be a type of poem. Uh, some have suggested maybe it alludes to praise, not completely sure of that, but uh, it's a psalm, a type of poem. Uh, David is identified as the author uh, of David, uh, which he sang. Uh, so it's, it's a song. He sang it unto the Lord. So that makes it a, a song of prayer uh, or prayer that was sang, if you prefer. Um, and then we see the, the context, the historical context here also uh, concerning the words of Cush, uh, the Benjamite, the Benjamite. So uh, as we get into the psalm, it becomes, I think it becomes decently clear that 
Although we may not know who exactly this, this Cush is, uh, he seems to be someone who was in league with Saul, almost certainly at the time of Saul's persecution of David, all the trouble uh, that David had with Saul. And uh, it would seem to be the case that Cush, for whatever reason, uh, has gone and slandered David to Saul. Uh, I think that is, that is almost certainly the, the context here, the, the historical context. Let me ask you a question tonight. Uh, did you ever become aware that someone said something about you to someone else that was not true, that was a lie? Have you ever been there? Uh, most of us have been. Most of us have been. And uh, if you have been in that situation, you know how hurtful that can be, how frustrating that can be, uh, how concerning that could be. Um, it's at least hurtful normally. Uh, it's upsetting uh, at some degree, at some level. Uh, in David's case, it, it was probably uh, all that much more upsetting because of the context, the, the difficulty, the persecution of Saul. And uh, he understood or uh, probably believed, I would say rightly, that this would only inflame the situation and cause it to uh, become that much worse. So that's, that would seem to be the likely context uh, tonight. That, that would seem to be the context. And, you know, I'll stop tonight and I'll, I'll praise God and thank him for the evidence that we have here in this psalm that the Lord understands what it's like when people speak against you, when they tell lies about you. That's what it means to slander, uh, to, to tell lies about someone else. That's, that's slander. The Lord understands how hurtful that is, and the Lord is using this situation in David's life to uh, encourage David to draw close to the Lord as his defender, and in that, giving us this wonderfully inspired example of what we should do in the same situation. Now, understand tonight, you may need to go, and uh, if it's someone in the church, we'll, we'll not see that here. David wasn't living in the church age, of course. Uh, if someone in the church, you believe, has said some things about you that aren't true, we have Christ's instruction, his, his commands to go, tell the person their fault uh, to their face, kindly, lovingly, humbly, try, try to work it out. We don't, we don't see that here, but, but tonight, I think what we do see here is um, the Lord's instruction regarding uh, his desire that we come and, and, and prayerfully seek him for help before we do anything else. Uh, David, evidently, before he's done anything else, he's come to the Lord in prayer, uh, making his requests, uh, worshiping the Lord for his justice and his defense, and evidently trusting God to be his defender against this slander. And then in the end, having brought these concerns to the Lord and considered um, just why it is that he could trust the Lord, uh, he praises the Lord. That's, that's the closing of the psalm here. <coughs> Excuse me, he, he praises the Lord. I want to read the psalm tonight. It's a little longer than the first uh, six, uh, but it, it's not that long. I want to go ahead and read it here. Uh, psalm 7, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, David writes, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rendering, rending, tearing, rending it in pieces, 
while there is none to deliver. Verse 3 continues, O Lord my God, if I have done this, uh, if there be iniquity in my hands, if, I've, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was uh, at peace with me, yea, I've delivered him that uh, without cause is, is mine enemy. Here he seems to be defending himself from the specific um, lies that have been told. Verse 5, he says, let my enemy persecute my soul and take it, yea, uh, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. If I'm guilty, say law. Stop there, pause, uh, and consider this. Verse 6, David continues his prayer. He says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. Uh, and awake for me to judgment that thou hast commanded. So shalt the congregation of the people compass thee about uh, for their sake, therefore, return thou on high. Verse 8, David continues, he says, The Lord shall judge the people, judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but, point of contrast here, but establish the just, for the righteous God trieth or judges the hearts and reigns. He's, David says in verse 10, my defense is of God. God is the one who will defend me, which saveth the upright in heart. Verse 11, he continues, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not uh, the wicked one, he will, the Lord will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow uh, and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Consequences here for sin uh, and, and the failure to repent. Verse 14, behold, he uh, travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit, uh, David's enemies, uh, and digged it and is fallen into the ditch which, which he hath made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate, or his own head. Uh, I will praise the Lord, David says in verse 17. Having prayed, brought it all to the Lord, having meditated upon God's righteousness and justice uh, and the likely outcome of that, he says in verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Uh, tonight, in the face of slander, in the face of slander, David sought the Lord's defense. In the face of slander, he sought the Lord's defense. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, tonight for uh, David's example. Lord, I thank you tonight for uh, allowing a trial that grew David, but also created an occasion, an opportunity, a context for this psalm to be penned down. Lord, I know tonight that you work sovereignly to uh, ordain that situation, and you've also inspired these words that David has penned down in response to that trial. Lord, I pray tonight that you help us to get a hold of a few basic principles, a few basic truths that we see here that will instruct us and encourage us Lord, what do we do? What do we do when we've been slandered? Father, we understand from New Testament passages that you desire us to deal with the slanderer directly, 
uh, to do that wisely, um, in love, humbly, and prayerfully. Lord, tonight we see the prayer aspect of, of that New Testament model all the way back here in David's life in the Old Testament. Father, I pray tonight that uh, it would be an encouragement to us and a reminder to us when someone has wronged us, when perhaps we believe that someone has slandered us, said things that simply aren't true, Lord, that we would come to you, that we would begin on our knees uh, before we take another step. Father, help us tonight. Help us tonight uh, to get a hold of this idea. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all this now in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Come back to verse 1, if you would. Uh, back to verse 1. I want you to see the, and be reminded of the basis for David's coming to the Lord. I understand tonight, Zachary, that I have the privilege to come boldly to the Lord because of what? Uh, it's because of my trust in, my belief in, my faith in uh, the Lord, in, in Lord Jesus Christ. Well, David begins there also. He, uh, he, as he begins his prayer, uh, he, he prays that uh, this, this is the basis. His trust in God is the basis. Uh, it's the basis. It's the grounds upon uh, David approaches the Lord. Look, look there uh, in verse 1. He says, O Lord my God. Uh, is the Lord your God tonight? I hope so. He says, O Lord my God, in thee do I what? What does it say? Uh, what does it say there tonight, Brother Ray? He says, in thee do I put my what? Trust, uh, my trust. Uh, David, of course, uh, writes all the time in the Psalms about his trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord, he says. He said back in, in Psalm 4 or 5. In Psalm 9 and verse 10, he says, they that know thy name, Lord, uh, will put their trust in thee. Will put their trust in thee. In Psalm 11 and verse 1, the psalmist writes, in the Lord uh, put I my trust. In Psalm 31 and verse 1, David writes, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. And over and over, we're just scratching the surface, uh, David and the other psalmists write about the fact that uh, their trust in the Lord is the basis for their, uh, their, their, their faithfulness. It's, it's their basis for the, their reliance upon the Lord, but it's, it's also the, the thing that paves the way for them to come to the Lord in prayer, their trust their belief, uh, their faith in the Lord uh, is the basis for their approach uh, to the Lord. So uh, David reminds the Lord um, that he, he's trusted in him. He's, he's placed his trust uh, in the Lord. I, I hope and I pray tonight that, that you truly are trusting in the Lord for all that you need. And, you know, sometimes you don't really know. You don't really know until you're in a hard place the extent to which you trust the Lord. If everything is great, you know, you have your health, a reasonable health, you have uh, enough money, you have enough stuff, food, shelter, whatever. Um, it's it's kind of easy just to go through life without really trusting God. But where there's a trial of not having uh, all of that or not being quite sure uh, where the next portion of something that's required, just basic necessities, uh, where that's coming from or how that's going to be acquired uh, you understand the importance of what it means to, or the meaning of what it means to trust in the Lord. Uh, if, you've, uh, if you wonder, if you're in a position where you wonder where, uh, how certain necessities are going to be met because you can't clearly see that, 
you understand that faith and trust is, is different than just kind of floating through life. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a real requirement for believers. Well, uh, David has a, a real need. He has a real need. Um, he says in the next part of verse 1, he makes specific requests. He's praying very specifically. He says, save me, praying to the Lord, save me from all them that persecute me and, and deliver me. Uh, again, it, it, there could be various places or in historical context where, where David uh, is facing um, enemies. Uh, he does make specific reference to, to Cush, the Benjamite, and uh, again, this likely refers to Saul and difficulties he faced with Saul and, uh, and, and Cush having evidently, evidently spoken against him. Uh, so that's the historical context. Uh, these would be those who persecute him, uh, who he needs deliverance from. And so he goes right to the Lord. Lord, you know, you know I'm a man who trusts you. Uh, I trust you to be a God who meets needs, a God who I can bring needs to and trust you to meet my needs. Listen, it doesn't make sense to pray, uh, Lord, meet this need unless you have faith, unless you trust God that he is able uh, to meet that need. And David, uh, he has that faith. He has that kind of uh, faithful trust in the Lord. And he prays about specific need. Uh, he has a specific fear also. Uh, sometimes there's a need, deliverance. Uh, sometimes that, that need is coupled with a fear of what will happen if God does not intervene and meet that need. And um, sometimes the, the fear about that thing is the thing that's really the trial for us, the, the thing that, that's crippling. Um, you know, you may, you may not know uh, where your next rent payment's coming from or where your next uh, grocery money is coming from, and so you pray about that. Uh, but as you pray, you know, you may become aware that, you know, I'm really fearful about that. Um, there, I'm having an emotional response. Uh, there's anxiety and fear and worry uh, about the uncertainty of, of how God might meet this need. Well, uh, David seems to pray in verse 2 about fear <laughs> related to a situation. He says, God, if, if you don't deliver me, um, my, my persecutor... Uh, may tear my soul, my very being, like a lion, uh, rending, tearing it in pieces, uh, while there is uh, none to deliver. That's, you know, that's really the situation. David needs to be delivered from his enemies, and he's fearful that if the Lord doesn't do that somehow, uh, he's, he's going to suffer some real uh, consequences here, that he may be harmed. Uh, and that, of course, was uh, a real possibility. Now, in verses 3 and 4 and 5, we get some insight into the false accusations that were made about David. Uh, he seems to defend himself in verses 3, 4, and 5. Uh, he's implying his innocence. Basically, he goes to the Lord in, in, in prayer here, and he says, Lord, if I'm guilty of these things that I've been accused of, uh, let the consequence of that fall on me. Uh, in verse 2, he, he was concerned that if God didn't deliver him from his enemies to whom he'd been falsely accused, he'd probably be killed. And uh, down in, in verses 4 and 5, he says, God, if I'm guilty of these things, allow me to face the consequences. Allow me to be killed. And um, this would seem to be sort of a poetic way of saying, you know, Lord, you know I'm not guilty of these things that I've been falsely accused of. So 
hey, please rescue me. Uh, please rescue me because, Lord, you know, you're omniscient, <laughs> you're all-knowing, you know that I'm not guilty. Well, look at verse 3. He says, oh, Lord, my God, my God. He says, if I, have, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I'm guilty of what I've been accused of wrongly, verse 4, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me. Now, right there is some suggestion of uh, false uh, accusation that had been made. Don't know exactly what this is referring to here, but he says, you know, God, if I'm guilty of having done wrong to someone uh, that was at peace with me, he says, yea, in fact, I've delivered him that with, was without cause. Uh, he says, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. He says, you know what? Not only have I done, not done wrong to those uh, who I was at peace with, I, I've done good uh, to those who are my enemy, love his enemies. Um, so he, he does deny, he does deny guilt here. Verse 5, he says, let the enemy persecute my soul. If I'm guilty, Lord, if I'm guilty, let the consequence of that fall on me. Correct me. Um, let your judgment fall upon me if I'm the guilty one. He says in verse 5, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth. Uh, he understood, he's saying, God, if I'm guilty, let me be killed. Lay mine honor in the dust. Uh, David was prepared for whatever consequences uh, the Lord might allow, if in fact that he was guilty, but he's denying the guilt. Um, he's denying the guilt. And at the same time, asking God to show him if, he's, if he is guilty of something here, uh, God show me and allow me to suffer the consequences. Says say law at the end of verse 5. Stop there, consider this uh, before we move on. Well, we understand here that um, David's asking the Lord to show him if he's guilty uh, through the consequences of guilt, but at the same time, kind of sandwiched there in the middle of verses 3 and 5 is this denial and suggestion that God knows uh, that he's innocent. Well, in verse, verses 6, 7, and 8, David, he's denied guilt now. He said, God, you know I'm innocent. Uh, David... Uh, appealed to the Lord to deal with his uh, false accusers. Uh, he, rather than just going out and, and trying to get them, uh, however he could, uh, David prays, Lord, you know I'm not guilty. Lord, I'm putting my trust in you. God, I, I need you to deliver me from uh, the consequence of this slander. But Lord, I, I really need you uh, I need you to somehow deal with those who have wronged me, those that have slandered me. God, I need you uh, to deal with them in a way that I may not be able to. Look at verse 6. He uh, very artfully prays. He says, Arise, O Lord. God, rise up against mine enemies. He says, O Lord, arise. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. David understood God has a wrath at sin. He says, Lift up thyself uh, because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. David understood that under the law, uh, different uh, sins had, had different consequences, and uh, he, he's appealing to the Lord to do uh, what God has said he, he would do um, in his word. I want you to notice 
uh, some of the language here. He, David says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. He's appealing to God and what he knows about God's response to sin. He knows that God has a wrath at sin. So he's appealing to the Lord uh, to, to respond here on the basis of what he knows about God. He says, lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. He's not saying, God, help me to get them. He says, God, I'm just going to look to you. Uh, you. You have an anger at sin. Uh, I'm asking you to lift up yourself. He says, awake uh, for me to the judgment that thou has commanded. David is evidencing this trust in God that he prayed uh, back in verse 1, second part of verse 1. He's, he's saying, he says, I, I, back in verse 1, he says, in thee do I put my trust. And in verse 6, you see that those aren't just empty words. He is truly trusting in the Lord uh, to deal with his enemies. Now, <laughs> Uh, I love this, um, David's motivations, uh, David's motivation, and I, I always like to kind of highlight this because his, his motivation uh, for seeking the Lord is, it's, it's always so pure and wonderful, or usually, <laughs> usually uh, that's the case, we, we might say. Um, David desires that the Lord uh, would aid him, would deliver him. David would, of course, benefit from that in a very practical way. He might, he might be spared death uh, from Saul. But in doing that, David also appeals to the Lord that, hey, yes, I'll, I'll benefit, but if, if you will deliver me uh, from my enemies, uh, the people around us, the people around me uh, will be encouraged and, and you'll be glorified. God, if you'll rescue me, if you'll deliver me, uh, people will see that. Of course, David was uh, not going to be shy about telling people how this happened. He, he glorified the Lord. He'd give credit to the Lord. And, and the people, uh, because of that, in that, would be encouraged to glorify the Lord. So you see, David's motivation here for seeking God's deliverance is not exclusively about personally benefiting. It's that God would personally benefit, that he'd be glorified in doing this. We saw something like this recently, and I said, you know, you might look at that and say, oh, he's, he's trying to manipulate God. And I'm going to look at that and say, no, I think that's really his heart. Yes, he really wants to be delivered. Uh, certainly, David understood that he could not manipulate the Lord into doing something that the Lord did not choose to do for his glory, for his honor. Uh, it's just, it's David's desire that as God intervened in his trial for David, that people would see that and that God would be glorified. Uh, we'll see this in verse 7. He says, so shall the congregation of the people, so shall the congregation of the people compass thee about, come, come around uh, to see uh, and to hear, God, how you worked uh, for their sakes, therefore return thou on high. Uh, God, for, for their sakes, so that they could see you at work in this trial, um, and, and then compass thee about, seek to glorify you, to worship you and give you praise and honor uh, and glory because they've seen you at work in this situation. Verse 7 is a little bit difficult, uh, but I do believe that, that that's the gist, that's the idea of the verse. David's motivation, in part, 
for seeking God's deliverance was that the people would see that uh, and, and give God glory. Now, I've talked about this a few times uh, in the last couple of services. On Wednesday night, we're gonna, it'll be Thanksgiving Eve, if that's the thing. Did I make that up, Brother Ray? Thanksgiving Eve? Uh, we've had special Christmas Eve services for many years. We're going to have Thanksgiving Eve service this year. Um, I've invited our men to come and give brief testimonies or be brief praises about how God has worked in their lives this year. Uh, it's not going to be a time for men to brag about themselves. Now, look what I did. It's, no, that's not it at all. It's going to be a time to brag about God, to brag on God for what he has done in our lives. Maybe in the context of trials, maybe not. Uh, but one of the reasons that we're doing that, um, not to glorify those men, but that God would be glorified as people hear witnesses, testimonies to what God has done, um, kind of where the rubber hits the road in our lives. In a real world, most practical, hey, this is what God has done for me this year. That, that'll encourage people, just like we see here in verse 7, uh, and that'll bring honor and glory to the Lord. So that's our goal. That'll be our goal uh, for Wednesday night, to glorify the Lord uh, for working in our lives. Yes, we need him to work in our lives, and we're thankful for that. Guys, thank the Lord for that on Wednesday night, but ultimately, let's make sure we point back to the Lord and, and glorify him. Let's continue uh, in our passage here. In, in verse 8, uh, David appealed to the Lord to judge uh, him and his enemies on the basis of his innocence. You know, David understands, God knows, uh, in any situation, God knows who is right and who's wrong. If, if two parties are opposed, if one has uh, done wrong to another, if one has said, for example, in this situation, something that's not true, God knows. God knows what the truth is, uh, and, and so David, he, he comes to the Lord saying, Lord, you know what the truth is. Uh, you know that I'm innocent. You know who's innocent and who's guilty. Would, would you judge? Would you, would you discern uh, what is right and what is wrong and, uh, and who needs to be blessed and who, who needs to be dealt with by you? Verse 8, he says, the Lord shall judge the people. He says, judge me, O Lord. Judge me, O Lord, middle of verse 8, according to my righteousness and according to my, in, mine integrity that is in me. Now understand this. I don't believe that David is coming to God saying, hey, God, you know I'm perfectly right in every way. No, we know better. And no doubt David knew better also. But he, he, I think he's saying, Lord, in this particular situation, you know that what has been said about me is false. And, and Lord, you know that person over there that said that, Cush, uh, he's a liar. He's a liar. Of course, that, that's great sins. And David said, Lord, on, on the basis of that, I, I pray that you would, you would aid me, you would bless me as one who has been righteous in this situation, and that you would deal with uh, that person who has been unrighteous, who's, who's been sinful, uh, slandering me, telling lies about me. God, you know the truth. You're able to bless um, or judge or mete out correction or judgment based on uh, your knowledge of the truth. Now, in verse 9, David, David prays just that. He prays the, uh, against the wicked uh, and for the just. He says in verse 9, he's praying, O Lord, uh, he says, O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. Uh, Lord, just 
uh, you intervene and stop the wickedness, stop the lying, stop the slander. Uh, he's praying that because he trusts God uh, to act righteously according to his righteousness and his holiness, and that God is omnipotent, that God has the power uh, to actually do that. He says, oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. God, you do that. You do that, God. He says, but, so here's a point of contrast, uh, Lord, you establish the just. God, you, you put down the wickedness of the wicked uh, and, and you bless. You, uh, perhaps the blessing that David seeks here is that truth would be revealed, that his justice, his righteousness uh, would be um, made, made seen uh, clearly, would clearly be seen in this situation. He says, but establish the just. For the righteous, God trieth, uh, judges, uh, the hearts and reins. Uh, what are reins? What are reins? Um, not like reins on a sled. This is, um, this would be a reference to the um, inward parts of a person, probably literally intestines, which were viewed sort of poetically uh, as the seat of emotions uh, in, in someone's heart. He says, God, you know, you know our hearts. You know our innermost thoughts, our innermost deep-seated deep emotions and thoughts and uh, and motivations, uh, God, you know who's right and who's wrong because you know us at that level, down that deep. Uh, Lord, would you would you respond and act accordingly, uh, based on your your omniscience, your perfect knowledge of who is right, who is wrong, and would you bless accordingly? Verse ten, David, um, he he, I, I hear it as a shout. I don't know about you. Uh, David has prayed. He's given his concern over to the Lord. He's encouraged himself with God's righteousness and God's justice, kind of brought himself to the, the bench of God and asking God to be the judge in the situation uh, and to mete out justice where that's due and reward or, or blessing where that's due. And, and, and he's excited now. He knows that he's brought it to God. He's brought it to the very best place that he could. Uh, and so in verse 10, I, I hear it as a shout. He says, my defense is of God. My defense is of God, uh, which saveth the upright in heart. He's not looking anywhere else uh, for protection or for deliverance. He's come to God, uh, you know, the, the Lord of lords and, and the King of kings. He's, he's come to the Lord uh, because God alone is, is, is the one who is in perfect control of the situation, who has perfect knowledge of the situation, uh, he alone is able to deal with this uh, in the most equitable, most just way. No one else uh, could have that level of knowledge of the truth or that ability to respond according to that. My defense is of God, which saveth uh, the upright in heart. A couple thoughts on this word defense here. Uh, it is often translated shield or buckler, shield or buckler. And often when we see uh, shield or buckler, we'll say, well, that's sometimes translated defense, like here, this, this would be that place. So where you see shield or, or buckler, a shield, of course, is primarily a defensive weapon. Uh, some will say it could be used offensively as well. Understand that, but it's primarily a defensive weapon. Uh, buckler has the same idea, defense. Uh, back in chapter 5 and, and verse 12, David wrote, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous, and, will fa and with favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. 
uh, you'll defend the righteous. David says, in this situation, I've acted righteously. And so I believe, Lord, you'll, you'll defend me. You'll deliver me. You'll be my defense, my shield, uh, my buckler. Um, in Proverbs 2 and verse 7, Proverbs 2 and verse 7, make a note, please. Proverbs 2 and verse 7 teaches that the Lord, quote, layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. That verse also teaches that he, the Lord, is a buckler, a defense, a shield to them that walk uprightly, uh, to them who live according to God's words, yes, in his strength, as we so often say, uh, but, but who, who yield themselves to the Lord, to obedience to his word, uh, with the understanding that, yep, we'll, we'll need God's grace, his strength to do that. Uh, that verse teaches what? It teaches that uh, God's protection, his deliverance from uh, great um, threat or the potential for great harm, uh, it is in, in these verses viewed as a blessing for those who choose to live righteously before the Lord, uh, for those who choose to obey him. David understood that principle. He understood that you know, he's not perfectly righteous, but that in this case, it was um, biblically appropriate for him to ask for God to bless him with defense and deliverance because he had, he had done nothing wrong. He was not the guilty party. Uh, he has been righteous in that sense, in that regard. Similarly, or on the other side of that coin, it was biblically proper for David to ask God to intervene and deal with his enemies because they'd done the opposite. They'd done wrong. And there's that biblical principle that we see over and over kind of strung or threaded all throughout Scripture. God blesses obedience. He blesses obedience, whereas disobedience... Uh, un injustice, unrighteousness, invites God's judgment, uh, invites God's correction. We see this all the way throughout Scripture. So David views his uh, expectation, humble expectation of God's deliverance as a blessing for his uh, practical righteousness in this situation. In verse 11, he says, God judgeth the righteous. Uh, he renders justice for the righteous. I think that's the idea here. God judges the righteous. He renders justice on behalf of the righteous. Uh, that's contrasted with the second part of verse 11. He says, and God is angry with the wicked every day. God has wrath against the sin of the wicked uh, always. He always has uh, a wrath against sin. You might say here that it's it's a wrath against sin that's not been covered by the blood of Christ. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, he has, he has a, a perfect, ongoing, everyday wrath uh, at sin that's not covered uh, by the blood of the Messiah. And the implication in this verse is that there's no blessing in store here for those who choose to li live wickedly. Instead, they could just expect judgment. And, and again, David's he's imploring God. He's coming to God on the basis of his knowledge of, of these truths, uh, his knowledge of, of God's word and uh, what God has revealed to him uh, up, to his, up to this point in his life. Now, we'll look at the next several verses quickly. I don't want to belabor this, but in the next uh, verses, um, David pictures 
uh, how God deals with the unjust. Uh, he's, he's, he's still praying here. Um, he says here in, in verse 12, he says, if he, the wicked, perhaps Saul and Cush and company, uh, turn not, if they don't repent of, of what's been said against me and acknowledge the, the lies and, and get right, uh, he says, he, the Lord, will wet uh, his sword. Uh, the word wet there, W-H-E-T, has the idea of sharpening. Perhaps you've heard of a whetstone or a wetting stone that is used to sharpen a knife. He says, uh, if, if these who have wronged me, if they've who've slandered me, don't get right, uh, Lord, I understand that, that you will uh, sharpen your sword against them. Uh, he says also, he had bent his bow, uh, like the bow and arrow, right, uh, and, and made it ready. David David is stating here the truth that he understands that if these people don't get right, they're going to face consequences not from him, uh, but from the Lord. And of course, the Lord is the one who is most able to mete out consequences for refusal to repent. In, in verse 13, he, he goes on speaking of the Lord. He says, he hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. Uh, he, he ordained of his arrows against uh, the persecutors. God can correct um, and he can also enter into the equation uh, and judge a person with death. That's God's prerogative. That's God's choice. David, David understands this. In, in verses 14, 15, and 16, David also details his understanding that sometimes God will judge those that have done wrong. He will uh, correct those that have done wrong by allowing them to fall into their own sin, uh, the, the traps that they've set for others. Uh, if, if some uh, wicked person has spoken lies about you uh, with the hope that you would suffer some consequence because of that, uh, one of the ways the Lord might correct that person is allowing that person to experience the consequence that they intended for you. I'm not making that up. Uh, we see this here in verses 14, 15, and 16. David here writes, Behold, uh, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. There's that slander. Uh, so David is speaking here of the, the one or ones who have slandered him. He continues to speak about them in verse 15. Uh, he, the guilty one, hath made a pit uh, and digged it and what? Uh, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. Uh, verse 16, his mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. Pate is a word that refers to the crown or the top of the head. P-A-T-E, pate, refers to the, the head, but specifically the crown or, or the top of the head. Listen, he's just saying he understands here that uh, sometimes God will judge or correct the wicked who sought to do us wrong, by allowing them to fall into the same wrong uh, that they intended to bring against us. Uh, David understands that here. Uh, in Proverbs 26 and verse 27, the Bible says, Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein. He that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. This is a biblical principle. In Psalm 37 and verse 14, the Bible says, The wicked have drawn out the sword and bent their bow, uh, to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be of upright conversation, behavior, or manner of living. 
he says in verse 15 there, their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Uh, here's this same exact principle. One way that God will correct uh, unrighteous, wicked people who come against God's people is allowing them to suffer their, the, the consequences that they intended to bring against us. In Ecclesiastes, just one more verse, Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 8, the Bible says, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. Uh, diggeth a pit to trap someone, right? Shall fall into it. And whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. There's the principle again. Uh, there's this principle. And so David uh, is communicating his understanding that he has a concern, <laughs> he has a need, he's brought it to the Lord. He understands that God is just, that God is righteous, that God is a righteous judge of right and wrong and discerner of right versus wrong, and that God is able to bless practical righteousness and correct or judge practical sin, disobedience, unrighteousness. And he understands that God the one who he's asking to deal with his enemies uh, is far more able, able to judge or correct his enemies. Uh, Lord, help us get a hold of that idea. Uh, we, we need to be people of prayer who, who bring uh, concerns regarding wrongs that others have brought to us to you in prayer uh, and that we uh, remind ourselves of, of biblical truths about you and your ability to intervene in a situation uh, to deal with those who may refuse to get right, who, who refuse to stop doing wrong toward us, that we just lean upon the Lord. We trust him uh, to deal with a situation that perhaps we cannot. Now, I'll say again, in a church, in a church where, where you've been offended, where you believe someone has done wrong to you, normally you can go to that person and and work it out. You, you remember that, that process that Christ described in the, in the New Testament. You go alone, normally, typically, if that's wise, then with witnesses, uh, and only then is that matter brought before the church, and, and so on. Uh, that's that's the, the Lord's model in the New Testament for dealing with offenses uh, between members. Um, that said, we do well to go to the Lord in prayer before we initiate that process, taking the offense to the Lord and asking God to intervene and help and deal with the situation uh, before we launch into it. In verse 17, uh, David, having done all of this, having taken it to the Lord in prayer and prayerfully reminded himself of truths that were relevant to his situation, uh, he says, and it's wonderful, uh, I kind of hear him saying it kind of loudly here as well, Brother Ray. He says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. God is perfectly righteous. God will be righteous toward us. Uh, he will judge right from wrong. And he, he blesses righteousness and he deals with unrighteousness. And, and David's knowledge of this will be a cause, uh, an occasion for praising the Lord. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. And will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Uh, David reiterated his intention to praise the Lord all throughout uh, the Psalms, of course. Uh, the psalmists do that consistently. In Psalm 35 and verse 28, 
The psalmist writes, and my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness, Lord, thy righteousness, and of thy praise all the day long. Uh, when we praise God, we speak of his praiseworthiness. When we praise God, we speak of his praiseworthiness. We speak of who he is and, and what he's like and why he's so very worthy of praise. This morning in, in Philippians 4 and verse 4, we saw the Lord's command given by, through Paul, rejoice in the Lord always, always, all the time. And again, I say, rejoice. Um, rejoicing in the Lord and praising the Lord, um, they're, they're largely the same thing, aren't they? When you're tempted to complain, again, as we said this morning, please remember that you'd be complaining against the Lord because he's sovereign. Whatever you're complaining about is something that he's allowed for some good purpose. Don't do that. Uh, instead, praise the Lord for allowing a difficult situation in which his good purposes can be accomplished. Uh, almost always that includes our growth among his, his good purposes. Praise the Lord for that. Rejoice uh, in that. David was in a just um, profoundly difficult situation, uh, and having brought it to the Lord, he, he could now say, I will praise the Lord. He could rejoice in the Lord uh, and, and praise the Lord. And that's, that's um, a wonderfully different place than where he began. He began in a very difficult place. He's brought it to the Lord, kind of parked it there, uh, exercised the trust that he wrote of in verse 1, uh, and now he's able to praise the Lord. He's able to rejoice in the Lord because he's trusting in God, to be God, to bless, to discern right and wrong, to bless the righteous, and to deal with the wicked. God is God. He knows. He knows who has been right and who has been wrong. He always knows the truth. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Aren't you glad for that? When someone has spoken a lie about you, God always knows the truth. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, that's what really matters. God always knows the truth. And we can always go to him with our difficulties and say, Lord, you know the truth. <laughs> you know my needs. You know my heart. Show me if I'm wrong. But Lord, bless me, please. Deliver me um, if, if I've been righteous before you. And Lord, if you would deal with my enemies, I, I'll trust you to do that as you see fit. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you tonight for this psalm. Lord, it's, um, it's important. We, um, we understand tonight that we, we do suffer the trial of slander. And um, it's not an easy thing. It's certainly not an easy thing for pastors. It's not an easy thing for anyone. Lord, I thank you tonight that you are a God who always knows the truth. You're omniscient. You know everything. And I thank you tonight that you're able to um, come into a situation and, and work in that situation. You're able to give us grace and wisdom uh, to deal with the slanderer uh, in a loving and righteous way that's easy to be entreated. And, Lord, where someone refuses to uh, get right, uh, to speak truth, you're able to deal with that person in a way that is far better than we ever could. Lord, help us to trust in you tonight. Help us to trust in you. Lord, I pray tonight that we just stay committed, ever more committed to 
always bringing difficulties, whatever they are, to you in prayer and uh, to trust you, to look to you before we act. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name.